This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. After your faith has let you down. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 564, The Meaning of Life with Brady Bloom, Part 2. So let's get right to it. I'll go, so the two, uh, you asked me to share insights, so I'll share. Yeah. Um, yeah. These are two that I share more often because they were a couple of the first real like insights that I had um, that really shifted me as a person, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. shifted the direction of my life. Um, so kind of, yeah, just a big change it caused to me. So the first one, and I, this isn't one I normally share, the next two are. So, but really the first real insight that I started having when I was meditating is that I was a liar. Liar! 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 Um, <laughs> I, I, I had mentioned before you started recording, I think, um, my, about pornography, right? Mm. And I had, um, I had looked at pornography in my marriage and there was a real expectation that that shouldn't be there. And I don't want to dive into any discussion on like the good or bad of pornography uh, at this time. But, um, uh, it had, it had been a while. I had been good, right? It is what I would label myself at you, then. Like avoiding it, avoiding pornography, right. um, for, for a while, but it wasn't, it wasn't close to the last time my wife thought was the last time. Right. Um, and she would ask me because she had some anxiety over it from, from pain from me lying to her for a very long time. Um, and so I knew it was going to hurt really bad when I, when I told her that I had been lying to her. Um, and I actually told her on our anniversary, which I don't know if that was a good or bad idea <laughs> looking back on it, but, um, it kept bubbling up to me. That's how insight feels. It feels like a bubble, like it bubbles up yeah, from, right. from, I view it visually from my subconscious, right? Mm-hmm. It's this like truth or this kind of dissonance that I have in my life um, that is not in accord, right? It doesn't work. And so I knew I couldn't keep lying. Lying was not for me anymore. And so like I couldn't get it off my mind when I was meditating for a while until I finally talked with Abby and it was difficult, but she's amazing anyway. So it wasn't nearly as difficult as I thought it would be. Um, but anyway, um, so that was the first insight. And then at that time I was agnostic leaning atheist. Um, I didn't want to talk about God. I didn't really want to touch that subject. It was sore. It was really painful right? For me to kind of go back to that and even try. And I was angry. I was still really angry um, and in an anger face. And so um, my wife showed me a song later in that year um, by Sleeping at Last, who I love their music now. It was the first song I had heard of theirs. And it's called Sun on his album Space. And I loved the song. It's very orchestral. It's very beautiful. Um, and he has a high voice, which some people might not like, but I always, I've been a high tenor my whole life, so I can relate, I guess. Um, but in that song, it has the lyric, you are the apple of God's eye. And after that song was over, 
I was kind of like grappling with this because I was like, I really liked the song. It was right up my alley. I was starting to listen to more orchestral stuff anyway. So it was right up my alley. But that line, I was like, I even, I told Abby, I was like, I like it. I, I love the song, but I don't think it's for me because it has that. But because I had been meditating and learning to reflect and question myself, which is critical thinking, essentially, I allowed myself to stop myself. And after I told Abby that, I kind of stopped and I just sat there and I, I thought about this. I felt it more than thought about it and grappled with it a little bit and realized that whatever the word God means, it is just a yeah. symbol. And it does not have a problem. I have a problem with the word God. Why do, right. why do I have a problem with the word God? What is my problem here? What is causing this dissonance? And for me to turn away literally like from wanting to talk about God or, or having that discussion at all. Cause it, it was so like, it's such a sore spot. Right. Uh, yeah. But it was infected, I think. Right. Like it, it's an emotional infection that I was ignoring and it was just festering. And so instead by turning into it and being like, okay, I'm free now of all archetypes or someone telling me who God is. I, I've let it all go. I've let that go. And so I, ca- I can come at this from a blank slate. And what, what is God to me? What is, and I started to explore it a little bit. And the first thing that I came to, ironically, is life. Same thing as Matt. And the same yeah. type of thing. But so for me, I had started um, vaping marijuana like a, um, two months before I, I had that insight. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of, I, I love getting high and meditating. It, it is a really mm-hmm. great soul searching process. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it was a little bit more, it wasn't like visual, but I use my imagination sometimes. And to me, it's like all life that exists everywhere right now in this moment that is all god like we are all god we are being every single atom molecule vibrational uh string right right? the vibrational strings of the universe are all god right now and so uh, like that that was the best way for me to put it and realize my small tiny perspective right and and kind of let go of myself a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and em- start to embrace other things. Yeah, no, I've I've uh, I mean, clearly, I think I've I felt that too. The intro that I put at that meaning of life thing with that little fictional myth that I created, and, and even at the end, did you listen to the Easter egg of the the little soul that story that that I yes, read? I loved it. Yeah. See, I, I I was listening back to it today and thinking. Maybe I should have substituted life for God every time. It's like, and God said because I like I, I still like have that knee jerk reaction that I don't like the word, I don't like the name God, I don't like identifying as somebody who believes in God. Do you, <laughs> you know? think though that maybe the actual truth there is that you don't like the definition of God, your definition of God? No, no, no. I, 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 I think what, what I think it is, Brady, is I, and, and this, this is another thing that I've been trying to work on for myself, like my own insights that I have when I'm meditating is 
that that I'm, I recognize that I try too often to control the the way that other people respond to my message. Uh-huh. And so from from there, I know that there's a lot of different views on who and what God is. And so if I use the word God, they're going to interpret it through their filter instead of through what I want them to see. And so yeah. I've got to figure out like a way to let go of trying to control what they say. So I don't like saying God because I think they're going to misinterpret you know, what I'm, what I'm saying and that, but, but even that, you know, like uh-huh. recognizing that, oh, here I'm trying to control their interpretation of things instead of letting them do it for themselves, you know? Ooh. And, and, and so that's kind of why I teased you earlier about like, why is it being so precise? Why is that so important to you? Because I was really doing a reflection of myself, you know, like things where like I, I get overly pedantic. I over explain things because I want to make sure that people understand exactly what it is that I'm seeing. Yeah. And I always get frustrated because they never do. Yeah. And, and and then recognizing, okay, I'm, why is that so important to me that people understand what I'm thinking or saying or like that? Like, why not be happy? And Cause I always have been interested in hearing other people's views on things. Like I'm not against that at all. So why not be okay with people having different reactions and responses to the things that I say? And, and just instead of spending so much energy focusing on trying to control the way that my words are interpreted, spend that energy focusing on just being like really, really honest and genuine about the things that I'm thinking and feeling, uh, even as they're in flux, <laughs> you know, and, and they're not something, you know, yeah, you can throw it at a wall like spaghetti and it's going to fall down. And I, like, I would love listeners to pick apart every, in fact, as you were talking, I kind of looked, there was a comment on the website. Somebody was kind of criticizing something that Chelsea said in the moral relativism episode. And in the past where I would have thought, oh, why are you being critical of that? Maybe we didn't explain it right. I, I, I'm thinking that's awesome. Like that there's somebody feels this strongly that they're going to come onto a website and write a comment in response to this. And let's, let's just see what all the different responses are and not worry so much about controlling. So I, I think that's behind my like aversion to using the word God, because there's so much baggage associated with that. And still like for me, you know, it, it's kind of like one of the things I lament about myself is that I don't dance. <laughs> and, and I think that dancing is like amazed, like an amazing way to experience life and express life. And I don't do it. And I, I, I can think back to when I was a teenager and would go to steak dances and sit on the side of the wall and make fun of people that I thought looked stupid. And because, and that was based on my own insecurities. And so because I did that, I kind of like trained myself to think people who dance are stupid. I don't want to be stupid. So I'm not going to dance, you know, and I've created this little barrier for myself based on my own insecurities, like at, at the core of it. And, and so I think I have something similar to that going on with God. Like, I don't want to be made fun of for believing in God because I've made fun of people for believing in God, you know? So, so I, I think that's what it boils down to. I, for the first half of everything you said, I was actually, <laughs> I was actually like a book, like a book. No, no, no. I, I was there with you the whole time. And, and yeah. I, I had two things. I had two things. Dang it. That I, oh, oh! Did I talk too long? Damn no, 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 no. I'm no. I'm talking over myself now, and okay. not remember. Oh, I'm gonna give you the two things first, and then I'll All tell right. you this other thing. Um, so, one, I invite you to sign up for a dance class tomorrow. Just a local dance class doesn't have to be really good. It, invite away. 
Yeah, I invite you it. to do that. <laughs> I, w- I won't, but, and but thank I, you for the invitation. The other invitation is this, this and this invitation isn't only to you, um, but to whoever listens to this. Um, I invite you to begin to sit with and explore your idea of God more often. Um, because yeah. I still have like an, a, a, a weird thing with it too. Like I c- totally get what you're saying for a long time. I didn't use the words God or spirituality. Cause I felt like they had so much baggage to all the people that yeah. I talked right. with, whether they're Mormon or non-Mormon or ex-Mormon. Right. And that way there's a lot of baggage to that. So I, I didn't talk about it, but like in sitting with it, I, I really enjoy talking about it now, but I still have like this hesitance toward, I I just don't understand it still. Right. Like I still, I don't understand God. I'm trying to revisit the idea of prayer now. And I've been trying to do it for a few months. Um, And to me, it feels more like meditation. Meditation is my kind of prayer, I guess. Um, But, but I try to have it a little more open and I do more self-talk as, as a part of like, when I find kind of more of a still point in meditation, I'll do a little bit of self-talk as prayer. Right. But they're more like mantras or intentions that I have that I want to plant and, and let it have room to grow. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I I wrote a song years ago. It's been over 10 years and I think I've done it on the podcast before. It's called make believe. And I wrote it about like, as I was losing my belief in God, um, you know, the, the, the God that I used to pray to and imagine was looking out for me and, and started thinking, well, wait a minute, why, why am I asking him to heal my children? And I have to ask him in a certain specific way with oil that's been consecrated. And I've got to cross all the T's and dot all the I's or, or he's not going to do it. And even then maybe he won't, you know, like what I don't, I'm rejecting that God. Yeah. But then there's this gaping hole kind of thing. And I don't know what to do with that because, you know, kind of like we started off talking about, you feel this emptiness, you feel this void. Yeah. So I, I wrote this song called Make Believe, and I'll probably add it in this episode. Um, but, but it's basically saying, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, my, it's like a love song to God and saying, I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a God or not, but I know that if I pretend that there is, that I feel better and I have some kind of hope. And so even if that's all that I have, I'll just do that. I'll just make believe. I will make the belief. I'll create it myself. I'll make the belief. And um, I, that didn't, that phase didn't last for very long. I, I still like the song, but I, I just totally uh, dismissed it. You know, and so and went, went years that way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's why I was agnostic atheist. It's like, I'm just, I'm living life. Yeah. Like I'm living life. Right. And yeah. that's what I was focused on. Um, in doing that, that's what got me to start meditating, which helped me to understand a, a little more deeply kind of the point of life. Right. And um, Alan, Alan Watson, I, I told yeah. you I was reading him before. Here I'll get yeah. that I do it more precisely. So, so you you he, read he him? You don't some, listen to his lectures? I do both. I I like okay. his lectures a lot. Um, I love his voice. Yeah, me too. And his laugh that he'll throw out there is yes, just so yeah. natural. I I love it too. Um, but reading him is really great too. Um, so, 
this came up and I was like, this is perfect. And because it is kind of how I feel as well. And I listen to a lot of Alan Watts, so that might, and read it. So mm-hmm. failing, failing to realize, oh, this is other people going about their business on the streets seem to be slightly crazy. Failing to realize that, this is what I want highlighted. The whole point of life is to be fully aware of it as it happens. So what's the meaning of life? To be aware of life as it's happening. To be aware of life as it's happening. To be. What was the little bit about people going crazy on the street? I don't understand. Uh, He was talking about it beforehand. Uh, That like everyone's running around so busy all the time with their lives, right? And that they need to. They they work till they're sixty five. Their their whole life as hard as they can so that they can retire, and then they still won't know how to live life though, right? Yeah. Um. at, At that point. And so if we don't know how to live life now, we'll never know how to live life then, which a great symbol for that is the whole idea of the plan of salvation, right? Which I think obvious, like, it's hard for me to say this in case like Mormons are hearing this and, but I I think it's both, right? But I think it's, it could be meaningful if you tie the right meaning to it, but the idea of the eternal perspective that all we have. When you say both, what you mean is that it's just not, it's not accurate. It's not literal. It's not how things really are. Yeah. 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 Like it's not the history book and the vision of the future, right? Uh, after yeah. death. It's like yeah. a really simplified version of looking at things from an etern- eternal perspective. But it's an example of somebody me, taking a symbol and focusing on the symbol and worshiping the symbol instead of looking at what's behind it and precisely. realizing there might not be a precise matchup between the symbol and what's being represented. Precisely. And, yeah. and really what I think is being, we're missing the point because the point is right now. Now is God. Now, as my acting coach says, one of my favorite things he says, the present moment is the only access, is our only access to eternity. This is the gate. It's the door to eternity. It's now. It's the only thing that exists. And it exists everywhere. And it's pretty amazing. Like, those are shitty words to describe it, but that's you, does yeah. That make sense or no? it's, yeah, it's it's amazing that it's happening even when there's intense suffering going on. It's still it's you know even when somebody's being that it horribly uh, abused, you know, like the fact that people are living. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a horrible way of looking at abuse. <laughs> I don't even know if I can complete the <laughs> the analogy, but it's just it's just amazing that people exist exist uh, in the first place and not have people. Just life, period. Everything, yeah. Everything. It's yeah. It's a miracle. And so why not act like it? Why not, yeah. why not choose to believe that in a meaningful way, right? Why not? So what it, well, because, because shit still happens to you, and it sucks when shit happens to you. Because bad things still happen to you. If you start to see suffering, so... I'm, if I were to label myself as, I actually don't label myself as anything religiously, right? Like Mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't know. I I don't value that for me, but, um, the practices I do most are, are Buddhist practices and, um, and it's because they've matched up with most of the things that I've learned just from meditating on my own. Right. Even without studying Buddhism, like I come reading Buddhism now and I'm like, holy shit. Like I already learned that. I've already felt that. Like I know that. 
and, and things that I've learned through the process. But the way Buddhism puts suffering is, is incredible. It's useful. Suffering is the messenger. It's the thing that's teaching us how to live our lives because when we suffer, so this is another insight. And most of the time when something happens to us that we suffer from, right? That, that we feel like this, it sucks. It's, it's terrible, sad, depressing, awful, right? We have all felt those things, the darkness of life. When those, that suffering happens, it's an event that causes it. I'm losing my train of thought, Glenn. Buddhism teaches that suffering is a great teacher. It, it is the teacher. It's how we can see. Oh, this. Okay. I remembered it. So you can cut out all of that. Okay. Um, I can. You, you may. You may. I may. Yeah, you I may. may. And that's why I'm putting it that way. You, yeah. you may choose to. If you want to. Um, so... <laughs> When we suffer, when something bad happens to us, we reactively say, why does that always happen to me? Why does that happen to me? But we're blaming it. We are putting ourselves as a victim to whatever's happening, right? Why did they do that? Why did that happen? Why did this event or that person say this or this thing happen? Why did that happen? I can't do anything about any of that. Where if I instead just, t- just change the intonation of how I say it, why does that always happen to me? Why, why do I feel that way? Like what I did with the word God. Why do I feel a dissonance, right? What I used to associate as, you remember like when you're doing something bad, the spirit will tell you and you'll feel like this, oh, the spirit's going to be offended and he'll leave, right? Mm-hmm. And that but ironically it's kind of like a burning in the bosom too right and so you feel this dissonance like in your chest and your solar plexus but stoicism taught me that the obstacle is the way so really like one of my one of my main practices in life is to practice sitting in dissonance and finding comfort and stillness in it does that make sense or no So instead of reacting to suffering by blaming the suffering itself, blaming the pain we feel in our shoulder, oh, I always have this pain. It's why do I have this pain? And then I can start examining my body and seeing I have bad posture. I'm not sleeping right. I'm doing all these, I'm I'm investigating myself as to why why do I feel this pain? And we can do that physically, emotionally, and mentally. Yeah, no, I, 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 I understand what you're saying and I admire it because it's, it's a way of taking responsibility for the things that, you know, for your life. Right. I, 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 I think that one of the dangers though, um, and, and again, I've always got these constant critics in my mind. So yeah. even though I, I, um, feel a lot like you feel, um, uh, that way, like right now I'm getting the opportunity to play the role of the, the yin to your yang. So I'm going to yeah, challenge I love because, it. because, um, th- there are people who are not responsible for their own suffering. You know, there are types of suffering that are so horrendous, you know, like, uh, uh, any kind of child abuse, um, in any form, you can't really say as the child that they're responsible for the abuse that, uh, the parent is, 
or, or I'm assuming it's a parent oh. or the, the adult is, is doing, you know? So, yeah. so I, I think there's, there's, I think there's a lot of value in that kind of way of, of stuff, uh, like looking at, at well, it's certain not, types of suffering. I'm not meant to apply that to everyone else. I, I can let people own their own experience and their own perceptions, right? But I only have to worry about mine. And so yeah. I'm not saying it's, it's the child's fault for their own suffering. I'm not saying it's my fault for my suffering because like, really it's not because most of my suffering is inherited but, but you're, my parents but you're saying, and my culture, which was then inherited from their parents and their culture. And there's all this type of strange abuse and control and manipulation and weird things that we do in society that all play a part in why I am the way I am. So I can sure. be forgiving of myself a lot easier too, right? Not blame mm-hmm. myself. I'm not blaming myself, but I'm saying, what, what is this suffering t- teaching me? What is the message because in suffering and in joy, there is a message there too. So, so the, 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 the classic atheist humanist example that I can think of is the, the child in Africa that is malnourished and diseased. And there's eye, uh, flies that are laying you know, eggs yeah. in their eyes. You know, like, so what, what, what's the lesson then for that kid in suffering? I don't have an answer for that. I can say the lesson for me is I should do more to alleviate other people's suffering because I have so little suffering and yet I bitch and I moan and I complain and I, I don't live happily. I'm, I'm rude because life just sucks. But honestly, I'm an American. I'm, I have, I have internet, I have running water. I have, I have, be well, well, extremely well beyond the necessities to live as a human being, right? Yeah. Like I'm extremely blessed. And so all I, I can't alleviate that child's suffering. I can't do that. But me as God, what I can do is talking to you, Glenn, I can, I can listen a little deeper. I can actually care what your point of view is right? And try to understand you and offer questions or ideas. And that's all I can do, right? But that can alleviate some suffering. So if we can alleviate suffering around us, that's, that's the purpose of it for me. It's not going into like the nature of evil, right? Um, right. Yeah. In that way. Um, because suffering isn't necessarily evil, although it can be, I think. Well, I'm sold. <laughs> um, that was easy have you seen I'm, I'm trying to look up the name of this documentary that um russell brand put out a couple of years ago have, have, have you discovered russell brand at all on your yeah some spiritual journey the 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 reason i'm bringing it up is because he talked about um the 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 thing that changed his life that just absolutely uh, you know, I, I don't know what your impression of Russell Brand ever was, um, but but I just thought he was the biggest asshole. I was yeah. never interested in him at, at all. Yeah. Uh, it's called Brand a Second Coming. Um, it's a film by Andy Timoner. Um, I probably butchered the pronunci- pronunciation of that. But um, I, I just thought he was the biggest blowhard, obnoxious asshole. I didn't want to hear anything. And then like a year ago, a little over a year ago, he was on 
real time with Bill Maher, and he just owned it. All right, he is an actor, comedian, and best-selling author of Recovery, Freedom from Our Addictions. Russell Brand is over here. I, I feel like there was a time when I saw you a lot. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe too much. <laughs> and lately... You didn't have to hover by my window. <laughs> <laughs> and lately, I don't see you enough. How can I get the right amount of Russell Brand in my diet? This is the classic addiction dilemma. <laughs> Once we, we have a little bit and then we get carried away and we can't control it. <laughs> our, our inability to moderate. Well, what happened was, I think, is I, I became immersed and engulfed in the intoxicating uh, drug of celebrity drank and drank from, from the cup like Icarus, too, flew too close to the sun, right. burned myself terribly, and then retreated to the British countryside to look at wildfowl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you got interested in life, which is something a lot of people who are addicted to... I mean, years ago, we did an issue, fame is the worst drug of all. Yes. I mean, you see it the way people hang on on reality shows and stuff. I mean, you used to be a star, and now you're on an island eating bugs, you know. Like, anything... <laughs> Anything would be worse than giving up that fame. And as you're an addiction specialist, would you concur with that, that fame is as bad as the other ones? I'm an ex a specialist in that I've experimented on myself quite ruthlessly and quite extensively. Not in laboratory conditions, more's the pity. I could have done with someone in a lab coat to give me a cuddle, and a Petri dish would have been useful. But... <laughs> What? What, what I do agree what? with, Bill, is these are times where we live on the outside. External phenomena has stimulated us to a ludicrous degree, and that addiction is just the amplification of consumerism. If you constantly broadcast at people that they ought to be afraid, if you constantly broadcast at people that they ain't good enough and that they can purchase somehow externally the feeling of well-being, then addiction for me is a natural conclusion of this phenomena. I ain't gonna fuck with that. That's... And the things that he was saying, he was so articulate and quick. And um, I just, I just loved what he had to say. Yeah. Uh, and and he was promoting his book about addiction, the twelve steps of addiction. And so I got that. But anyway, so I, I watched this documentary. He's telling the story of his life, how he went from being a drug addict to being a fame addict and a sex addict, and you know all the stuff. And he's married to Katy Perry, and is at the top of his you know fame. And then he, he does this little charity junket to Africa and he sees this poverty. He sees these, these children that I described earlier and he yeah. went, oh my God, the, the, what, like what I'm doing, the, the, the machine of fame that I'm living in is exactly the same thing that is creating this. Road less traveled because I got famous. A charity called Comic Relief had asked me to make a contributory film. And we just go there and go, hey, look, this is what's happening in Africa. Send us some money, call the number on the bottom of your screen now. I think, oh yeah, it's gonna make me look good. It's a sort of a prestigious thing to do. They took me to Kibera in Kenya, to this waste dump, miles and miles of rubbish, as far as the eye can see. Children forage there for recyclable goods to sell. That was one of those things that I couldn't comprehend. Little bottle tops and stuff. Autumn here, there's like loads of mm. syringes lying around. But the medical waste is dumped here. Ah, oh, she's bleeding. Mm. Are you all right, darling? 
going to Africa, that hit me really like, oh my fucking God, I'm living like this life. And like there's like, there was children foraging among these pigs, these wild pigs that lived on the dump, cattle chewing through sort of cellophane with mad rolling eyes. A woman picking up melon and eating it out of like rubbish. It was hell. This is hell. We're creating it. We're all participants in that. The same system that gives me loads of money and sticks me in a mansion and puts me on the TV does that. It's the same thing. As a white millionaire coming here, I, mean, I feel like it's almost vulgar. On some level, you sort of cut yourself off from the reality of it because otherwise, how could any of us live with it? How could any of us, how could I go home? After it, there was a point where I was like at some fashion show with Katie, and it's like the most ludicrous artifice and pageantry of the fashion world. I couldn't get my head around that on one planet you could have that fashion show happening in Paris and that poverty happening, the distinction is imaginary. What the fucking hell am I doing fulfilling these selfish objectives? It doesn't actually make any fucking difference. What you need to do is change the entire culture. But like, you know, what I realised is it's been fucking hard. Like, it's probably going to mean giving up a lot, everything, probably. So do you want to do that? <laughs> you know, like, th this is the other side of the coin. Yeah. And if I'm really going to look at life's experience as a whole thing, instead of just pick and choose what's convenient for me to see and for convenient for me to look at, I've got to accept that the way that I live my life and the, the system that I'm supporting, that I'm a part of, uh, does this to people um, when we could. And it just was this profound, and it took him probably, uh, I, I don't know how long, but it took him a while before he really could do anything with it. He was just living with that, that angst, that juxtaposition. He'd go to these fashion shows afterwards and it was just so vapid and empty and he couldn't, he couldn't get his head out of the suffering in Africa and, and what can he do? And it just changed his life. And he became this spiritual person who, also, as part of his 12-step, you know, trying to stay clean for, I think it's 14, 15 years now, um, without alcohol or drugs of any kind, uh, you know, like he found. So I, I found that very, very inspirational. If you haven't watched that documentary, um, I would recommend it. Yeah, I will. That sounds... Yeah. But but I, I loved what you had to say also, Brady, about um, just focusing on being a kinder person uh, more like take, taking that ownership for the, the imprint that you put on the world, the imprint that you put on others and the way that you respond to the way that others express themselves to you. And it's just, I, I, I think, I think that if there was like a nice succinct way to, to put that as a bumper sticker or a logo <laughs> or something, you know, for the meaning of life, we'd have a success. It's this, it's a practice of, like suspending disbelief and then reining it back in, right? Actually exploring with believing again is a really difficult thing to start to do after being burned really deeply, right? From leaving the church or, yeah. and so really starting to embrace the idea of believing again was so right. hard for me. And yeah. you talked about belief earlier through the use of like art, right? And that was, that was that third insight that I wanted to share. So after the one where I questioned myself about God, that, that I can start to redefine that about God. Yeah. Um, 
I started in, I mean, if you're trying to redefine God, you're talking about belief, right? Like at its core, even if I was doing it through a scientific method, it was still a belief that was going to change the way that I live my life potentially. Right. And so in beginning to investigate that, I discovered the analogy of viewing belief as an art. And I use music because I'm more of a music listener and player, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, for me, I, I don't like country music, right? Country music, I don't like it at all. I never listen to it. Um, but does that make country music bad or wrong? No, country music makes itself bad. That, and actually, I'll, I'll follow it up with that. I'll be like, <laughs> potentially, <laughs> potentially, yes, right? But, yeah, and anybody who likes it is a stupid Trump supporter. My people are so smart. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. I mean, it, it, it's simple. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just... no, again, we get into idolatry and ideology yeah so stereotyping and everything with our politics with all of our views if we're not guarded against ideology and idolatry they will become a part of who we are because it's pushed upon us all the time i think um well it's similar to what i said at the beginning of our conversation about the way that our brain works when we see somebody that looks similar to somebody that did something to us in the past like that i would imagine that your first exposure to country music was associated with some kind of negative experience or something (laughs) (laughs) it's my brother's indoctrination actually against maybe maybe it was there's there was something about it that was distasteful that that now that's attached itself to it and you can't quite get over that yeah. aesthetic. And, and then there's the danger in using that as a standard to judge others against. And yeah. we all fall into that trap to certain degrees. And so if we start to view belief as an art, it opens yeah. us up to not have to defend ourselves when we're talking to someone else about their beliefs, right? Because yeah. I'm not saying my beliefs are right. Your beliefs are wrong. I'm right. saying my beliefs are my beliefs. I've, for me, I can say that I've discovered most of my beliefs, not all of them, especially the cultural stuff that's pushed down on all of us. Right. I I still have a really hard time with that, Brady. I I, I still have a really hard time not, uh, you know, like not judging. Yeah. And and saying, okay, well, there are some beliefs that just are unhealthy beliefs. So like as as I watch ex Mormons going through this process of leaving mm -hmm. the church and I understand that most people go through an anger phase and that that's a different experience for everybody. And some people maybe need it longer than others. But I, I like when people stay in that <clears throat> Mike Norton and um, like stay in victim mode. And I, and I didn't want to I didn't want to challenge Matt on this in our last conversation. But when he was talking about the church corrupting children, you know, I I, I don't feel I, corrupted. I, I yeah, I don't I don't. I don't particularly find value in, in demon, like creating the church as a boogeyman. And, you know, like Matt, Matt, even in the conversation with Sam Young, that was very controversial. One of the things he he was critiquing Sam Young about was creating this boogeyman uh, out of the church. And, and, you know, when, when you're saying that the Mormon church is corrupting you to, to me, that, that that's another way of looking at what you talked about earlier that Buddhism has showed you about the value in suffering. Yeah. You could say that, yeah, the church caused you suffering, but, but the minute that you call that suffering and the minute you call that trauma, 
corruption, you're really judging it instead of saying, but, but how did the discomfort that the church caused me make me react in certain ways that have led to a healthier life than what I have now? And so can I be grateful for that experience that I had with the church and, and even, you know, like when I still, like I still have run-ins with people who I know are, uh, you know, like judging me and thinking that I'm, you know, like there's still things that are really distasteful about it, but I, I don't particularly like that demonizing of the church, even though I love to make fun of it and strip away the power that they think they have of it, you know, uh, it, but, but at the same time, I don't want to then say, so Matt is wrong in what he's, he's saying. His view of it's wrong and my view of it's right. Yeah. Because I know that, you know, like the words that we're using, yeah. you know, we talked about that before, they're not precise. Yeah. And that the way that I'm interpreting what he's saying probably isn't really what he meant to say. So, and we're talking about different things, you know, like, so it's just really hard. But I, I mm-hmm. recognize inside of myself that, like, instinctive... Um, I just, just, just that impulse to, to judge things. It is anyway, true. I, it's hard. It's, it's I know, but, and it's hard for me to do that. That's like, relativism, I know that I, and I'm, right. I'm pretty relativist, but I'm not like a complete relativist. Like everything is relative. Yeah. Uh, because I do see interconnection and interbeing and all sorts of different things. Right. But, and so mm-hmm. I, I like inter- interconnected more. I would not be who I am today if I wasn't Mormon. Period. I wouldn't sure. have yeah. the same interests. I wouldn't have the same life. I wouldn't have the same wife and kids. I wouldn't have. So, on the flip side of that suffering, one, there already was a ton of joy. I had a ton of joy growing up as a Mormon. I know that's not everyone's experience, also, right? And so, I can value that too, right? I'm not saying yeah. everyone should yeah. have the same perspective of the church as me, because some people have been harmed by it way more than it harmed me. Uh, Absolutely, in that way, but. But yeah, being able and, to, and, but, 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 but accept okay, it, okay. we have to accept man. And, and here is another danger with symbols. And, and it's this term called reification where you, you, you said the church causes harm. Okay. Let's be honest. There is no such thing as the church. Again, the church is a word. Your it's experience a symbol. of the church. It, yeah. It represents a very, very large different, you know, like, there isn't such a thing as a church, just like there's no such thing as America or, you know, like the reification means you're taking an abstract idea and you're treating it as if it's a concrete thing. Yeah. And the, the, there really is no such thing as the church. And, and, you know, so you go, Oh yeah, well there's like a leadership roulette. Well, that's what it's really about, right? It's, it's about different personalities, different ways that people treat other people and they get there down to your parents and the way they treated you with it. If you were raised Mormon or. Yeah. And, and we share a world, we use worldview, we share an aesthetic. Some people use that, use those common beliefs to abuse and manipulate other people. Um, others don't. Yeah. So, so is it really the church's problem or is it the, the people like, especially the, these, these insecure leaders of the church who, know at some level that they're not really looking at Jesus and talking to him face to face, even though that's what they want people to continue to believe that's got to like destroy your soul at some level, you know, like it's so they, they double down, they double down, they double down. It's about these people that are the danger of symbols, right? It's the other people. 
and excusing excusing it because they think that they're doing it for a higher good because they've got these symbols or something like that to justify them and they're not paying attention to what those symbols are actually symbolizing so for for those people that are more in that anger face right yeah i i know it's valid i have been through it and I know what it feels like. I don't know how you feel exactly, but I know what it yeah. feels like. But uh, just an, an offering to you is to sit in the discomfort a little bit more often, right? If, if you feel that anger and rage and sadness and all of those different things, give that space for you not for the church, not for your parents, not for any, your husband or wife, not for anybody else. Give yourself the space with your emotions to fully feel your anger and learn from it. Um, that's, that's like the only thing we can do with that, right? And I believe that if you do that, you will see that it is something that is impermanent. That emotion will not last forever. You won't always be angry and rageful against the church because if you give it space and and give yourself love then you will pass through it instead of hiding from it and and i'm I'm glad we're having this conversation because i think it's bringing something into to focus for me in a little more detail that's been bothering me for a while and it's the it's it's that when that very legitimate sense of betrayal um uh, that that rage that anger of, you know, when, when you're leaving the church, when that gets redirected and maybe not even redirected, when it gets directed towards things that people call bullshit, like that story is just bullshit. The stories they tell is bullshit. All these beliefs are bullshit. I feel like it's not as effective. I feel like it's not an accurate diagnosis. I feel like it's an easy, sloppy diagnosis. Yes, these are fictions. We've exposed that these are fictions. Congratulations. You figured out that there's fictions. That's not the lie. That's not the abuse. It's these people that are using it in specific ways that if you can identify like the, the, um, you know, like they're being dishonest. So what's the problem? Is it the story or is it being dishonest. It's being dishonest. So in your life, don't you be dishonest, you know, like don't be dishonest to people. Don't be unfair to people. If, if you're saying, Oh, well, they're excluding, uh, LGBTQ, they're excluding women. They're not being, uh, respectful either. Yeah. Hashtag not all Mormons, but, but, but but, but, it is pushed. I I get that too. Right. But, but, and, and so it's not the entire church. It's not the stories of the church. It's really not even all of the stuff that's in the CES letter. It's, it's the way that, because if, if people in the church recognized that the fictions are fictions and that the symbols are symbols and that what they're really representing is actually love one another (laughs) and they did that and dropped all the insecurity of having to pat themselves on the back all the time and say, yes, aren't we legitimate? Aren't we the one true church? Isn't, isn't it great that no one gets the fullness of God's love unless they pass through our hollowed hallways and sit under our priesthood authority and pay us 10% of their, you know, and all, all this, this stuff we can go, yeah, that's bullshit. But it's, it's like when you get sucked into that, 
recognize that it's those attitudes towards of intolerance that are the problem. And so then don't be intolerant. And that even means don't be intolerant towards the church. Don't be intolerant yeah. towards the TBMs. And it's hard to get to that place. It takes, it takes a long time. It took me a long time. It's still, I'm still not exactly where I want to be with that. You know, like I still struggle with the judgment and the anger and things, things like that. But that, that's, that's where I think I, I have an issue with. <laughs> uh, all right. So I'm looping back to what you were talking about. I don't remember the way you said it, but, but I remember what the image that came to mind for me. Right. Um, so imagine that the religion itself, it's coming back to like, you were talking about like the church itself and like the, the real problem is this, right. And you said the, the teachings, those aren't necessarily lies. Right. But they, they're fictions. Fictions are lies, but fictions are lies that are used to tell a truth or try, yeah, to, I don't, try to tell a truth. Hopefully they can be. And if they're religious or spiritual in nature, they should be doing that. And some of the churches do. You have to agree with me there, right? Yeah. I got, I got tied up on the, the different ways that we use the word lie and, and didn't hear the rest of what you said. So say it again. Okay. So that some people imagine, use, imagine yeah. instead that the church, religion in general, life is really playing a game, right? And we have different sets of rules that we're given, but a lot of times we misinterpret those rules and we make mistakes and we do things a way that the game's not even really supposed to be played that way because it's a pretty complex game. It's not like your normal, just like Monopoly, right? Um, it'd be... A, Life would be the most complex game you could imagine. But think of a really complex game that you play. You just spin a wheel and it lands on a number and then you move the pieces right. and you get little blue pegs and pink pegs. Be a winner at the game of life. No, Monopoly's way more complicated. But the instructions are there to come back to, right? Like, and the instructions are lies. The rules of that game are not actually true like when i play a game i'll play eldritch horror with my brother which is a pretty complex game and like there's all sorts of rules of like you can do this on this turn and you can do this on that turn and all these different phases and steps and all this stuff but it's just a game like i don't have to obey any of those rules i choose to obey those rules because it makes the game more fun right they've been really well thought out and planned so religion if it's viewed i believe that if it's viewed from a point where you realize these are the rules to the game that I want to play, right? Because this game makes me happy and makes my life happy in this way. If you view it from that point of view, you can get rid of some of that idolatry and you can get rid of some of that like deification of leaders and all the things we're talking about that cause religion and my experience with Mormonism to actually cause a lot of suffering because they're based around cultural like lives and manipulation and control and all this other stuff, because it's really just what people are imposing on you. Does that make sense or no? Yeah, but I'm still stuck on the word lie. I don't like it. I, I, I give, give me an example of what you mean when you're saying like that the, the rules of the game of, of religion are lies. Like what, what, what are some of these lies? In the religion or in a game? No, the, specifically to, to the Mormon church. Like, what, what, what are the lies? The stories. The Adam and Eve story. 
That's a lie. So, so, so you, so you believe that the story of Adam is, is a lie. I believe it is not factually. So, so you're, de- you're defining lie as not factual it, for this instance. Yes. Yeah. I think you can have, uh, I have it, it right now. Yeah. I would say the, what I'm trying to convey lie means not factual for this because we're talking about people who live in orthodoxy who see these things as this is how the earth was created this is how humanity started and that's what they base their reality on those are lies. that's a lie so so then then how do you define lie something that is not factual but that's not i'm not saying that lies are bad but, but, but lies are bad. Ne- but, but li- bad. Okay. Okay. So here's how I define lie. Somebody who knowingly deceives someone, somebody who knows that's a lie. What the, that's somebody a lie. who knows uh, a, a lie that's is lying. <laughs> right. And then the product that's created by the act of lying is an artifact that is a knowing um, deception and a, a story like Adam and Eve that somebody is taught as a kid and they're told that it's true. The act of being told that it's true by somebody who believes that it's really true is not a lie. I can't, I like, and and if you're calling it a lie, there's so much baggage associated with that lie. So I'm not saying that because I, I have to disagree and say that the act of lying is different than a lie itself because a lie is something that is not true. It's not factual, right? So the act of lying is is I am saying something that's not true. Now, if I know that's not true, then that's a sin, right? That would be bad. If, okay, I, okay. if I believe that it's true and I'm saying that, I'm not doing anything bad. You can't blame me for that, right? I'm lying, but I don't even know that I'm lying. But I am lying. We're lying all the time to ourselves, Glenn. I lie to myself all the time. We all do. Our worlds are created with lies and stories. It's the stories we tell ourselves about who we are, about who someone else is, and they're all lies because we don't, we don't even, we can't remember our lives like two years ago, what our daily life was like, what we were doing every day. We don't have that type of existence or, or consciousness. I, I, I can't think of like, like the way that you're describing a lie is something that isn't true. But it's not bad. That, that, it wait, can't wait, be wait, bad. wait, 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 but stop. But, but what, what does true mean then? In this context, as a poll to lie in that definition, it would be something that is factually true in this context. But truth has more than one meaning. Yeah. Truth is a pretty complex word, kind of like God is. is a really complex word. <laughs> and is. life is a really complex word. All right. right? We, we, we can move on. I, I just, I don't like the word lie. I still don't like the word lie. You haven't said anything that makes me change my position on, on the word lie. I, I, mean, I don't think I can. I think you're the only one that can change your position on lie. But I don't want to. I don't, I don't see that there's, I don't see that there's a value in looking at everything as a lie what would you so i can say a myth but it doesn't have the impact for me i know i think the reason why i need to use that word in this context glenn is because leaving the church the only way that i could leave the only thing that would work to get me to leave is to know that it was not true the way i believed it was true because i always believed it was factually true 
and that it would all be explained. The stuff that was confusing would be explained. So I thought it was factually true. That was a lie. And it was only that lie that gave me the faith to leave. Yeah. So, so lie so, can be very good and useful. Okay. But don't and, tell them. You have okay. to recognize that they are lies as useful. All right. I'm going to stop. What I'm, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say, <laughs> what I'm trying to ask you, I like some is, is to, is to, to please don't confuse my own personal discomfort with the word lie and, and like with, with saying that you shouldn't, or that I think that you're wrong okay. in doing Oh, doing I'm doing that. the same <laughs> damn thing. Right. We're, we're, we're kind of like doing oh, this together, man. right? <laughs> <laughs> we're we're kind of doing this. We're, These we're pesky like, words, man. We're, pesky we're, words. Yeah. Uh, would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for these pesky words, <laughs> but, um, oh. yeah, I, it's just, it, I, it, it, it's pedantic when you get really precise about definitions of words and stuff, but I, you know, like here's an but interesting difference and the more that you, yeah. Oh, well, and, and what's important is the way that, that you're expressing why it is that you see it that way. And because of how it made you feel as a church, you know, when you were leaving the church and that sort of thing, and it was a different experience for me. And yeah. it's all, uh, you know, I do it the lie and, and, that because that's the meaning I tie to it. And I've right, like, right, 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 right. So anyway, so, so we, so we, well, <laughs> we, we, we could, we could move off of this conversation and, and, uh, into something else. Cause I, it seemed like there was somewhere else that you wanted to go. And I kind of derailed it by nitpicking no, I thought that was the really word lie to go through though. But so I think it is very, important. but what do you mean by important? I'm just kidding. I'm Good not going to do that again. Um, <laughs> okay. This has been less about the meaning of life so and more belief, about like though, with belief, the meaning of meaning. <laughs> yeah, it is the meaning, of, the meaning of meaning. But how can you know the meaning of meaning if you don't know what the word meaning? What do you mean by meaning? <laughs> well, like if somebody's really not nice, then they're like really mean to you. Like they've been. They're really Mom, meaning, man. Mom, he's meaning me. <laughs> um. So with belief. We have to be able to separate our, our own stories that we tie to things, man, and know that they're stories, but because there are stories, they're meaningful, right? And so, yeah. like... And, and fictions are meaningful, and lies can be meaningful, the, the way that you use lies. Yeah. Because you're not saying that lies are bad, you're saying that lies could be good and lies can be meaningful. Yes. They, because mythology is is a lie. Like if you ask anyone today, like do the Greek gods. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, use it. I wouldn't, that would say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that word, but I, I, I think I understand what you mean by it. Yeah. But, and you know, mythology a whole lot better than me. So I'm probably way off, but, um, but the stories themselves might be based around a kernel of truth. Just like the stories of some of the stories of Joseph Smith might be based around something that kind of happened, but then it was somebody else's view of that, that got shared and shared and shared and shared. And over time it changes into something completely different than what actually happened. So at that point it's a lie, but at that kernel point, was there something really potentially impactful or meaningful was there? And I'm not saying there always is, but it's worth exploring to see if what's there might actually have some substance. I, so as I study some things, uh, as, I, as I study like whatever, philosophy, Buddhism, that's what I read most of the time. Um, as I'm studying that stuff, sometimes 
things will come up that spark like, huh, like in Buddhism, you have the whole, like good can't exist without evil, right? And I'm like, that sounds a lot like Second Nephi chapter two. And so yeah. like, I'll, I'm not afraid anymore. Uh, afraid might be the wrong word, but I don't feel that dissonance anymore to actually like opening up the Book of Mormon and seeing if I still find substance in what I read there. I will say that yeah. occasionally I do um, in, in certain things. I used to find a ton of meaning deep within the lines, right? Of yeah. it. And so I can still find meaning in there. Um, sometimes I don't really anymore. Like it doesn't connect with me at all the way it used to in certain parts, but occasionally I do. But I will say for me, the substance I find there isn't worth my investment of time compared to other sources where I really get a lot of substance from that. I feel are really meaty on like the applicable principles, truths, like how am I going to live type of Mm -hmm. stuff? You know, I I feel like the book of Mormon has some of that, but I don't feel like it's. Yeah. And and that, that's where taking that uh, polygenetic point of view is is helpful because i can i I can say why would second nephi 211 there must needs be opposition in all things be similar to teachings that you would have that you would find in hinduism or buddhism and or in other places that you know teach about the importance of duality and nature and the yin and the yang and you know it's it's a very very ancient idea yeah and and as a as a mormon as a believing mormon that would be evidence to you that it's true and that, 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 that means that it comes from God and it all comes from God. And maybe I still kind of believe that in a way now, except uh, I believe it in a different way. What I believe is because people recognize it, it, you know, like everybody has feet, everybody recognizes that there's opposition in the world and that it kind of drives it's important. And there's wisdom traditions that develop in different places over time and they have different flavors and different iterations. And Joseph Smith, when he put that in the book of Mormon, that he was creating, you know, he was trying to model scripture. He was, he was writing pseudepigraphy. He was doing an art form that he was trying to copy the style of the King James version of the Bible that was really important to him. And the people that flocked to, to the early church flocked to it because it was this art form that really, really resonated with the way that they were raised in uh, you know, it, it hit all of those cultural um, expectations that you have with this sort of thing. And it created those kinds of feelings that they learned how to create for themselves um, in, you know, observing that art and, and, and reflecting on those stories. And, and so I can still, from this perspective, see how that could have a lot of value and still be true in the sense of, the, you know, shared wisdom, common sense views around the world without then tying it back to, oh, and so Joseph Smith well, was a prophet and then everything else is true. And that means that, you know, we shouldn't call the Mormon church, the Mormon church anymore, because that's what God told us through his prophet. Yeah. Whatever the guy's name is now. Russell Nelson. No, Russell, Russell and Nelson. Russell. Russie, um, Russie. Um, so I, I'd go a little further and say that it's not just Um, it's not only like the things that are common, those definitely you will see common themes popping up through humanity. Right. But we are humans, all of us, and we are hardwired in a very similar way. Right. We have a lot of differences and a lot of cultural things and a lot of all this other stuff too, but our hardwiring itself is, is very similar compared to any other thing. 
right? That exists. There's there's a line from a Sting song that just popped in my head. We share the same biology regardless of ideology. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's that song. Right. I hope our children, I hope the Russians love their children too. That's, and that's the, yeah. like yeah. in reading Sapiens and studying yeah. more in that line too, learning that humans 2000, 10,000, 50,000 years ago had the same level of intelligence that we mm-hmm. do now. Right. Mm-hmm. Essentially. And so they don't have all the cultural understanding now that has built up through generations. Right. But they had the same level of intelligence back then. So I, I feel, and I've, I've experienced that when we start to like dive in a little deeper into ourselves, the insight that bubbles up many they're, they're shared as well. Like, I don't, I don't know scientifically, like I've, I've speculated or postulated that it's code within our DNA. Like there could be all sorts of reasons behind it that are absolutely not scientifically explained at this time, but there are ideas and, and ways of being that do arise on their own when we're, when we listen. And, and, and And I think those rise up all over the world. And so no matter what faith tradition you had, the idea of opposites and yin and yang and the pull of those is something about being human. Yeah. And being life. Yeah. Um, did, did I send you a link to like a, a, a quantum something or other? I think uh, so. I, I didn't, I didn't watch just, that. I listened to the whole episode cause I thought it was going to be in the episode maybe. And it oh was, no. Yeah. I didn't yeah. go on. I didn't talk yeah. about it. Um, so I, I didn't watch it. It's called what is reality by quantum gravity research is the group that created that. I, I watched two videos of theirs on YouTube. What is reality and hacking reality. Let us talk about infinity. Imagine opening your eyes and finding yourself surrounded by water. And you cannot remember ever not being in that water. The first question you might ask is, How did I get here? You've always been there. What do you mean always? When did I enter the pool? You never entered the pool. You have always been in the pool. Okay, but... Where was I before I was in the pool? That's a false question. There is no before in which you were not in the pool. You have always been in the pool. Okay, but always, like, how long? Like, a billion years? No, a billion years began a billion years ago. Huh, okay, okay, okay. But I must have been born at some point. What was before me? Okay, so, like, what's our communication disconnect here? There is no before you. You have always existed in the pool. Always, forever, infinitely. Yeah, but Always. Always. And the Quantum Gravity Research Group, it's a group of 20 scientists around the world. They're based out of Los Angeles. And they're trying to, um, they're, 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 they're trying to, uh, 
demonstrate a theory of everything that um, you know connects Einstein's theory of relativity, which explains big things like gravity and yeah. quantum mechanics, which explains little things like electromagnetism and strong nuclear weak, weak nuclear force, etc. That connects those two things together, and um, they they reject string theory. I know string theory has been a, a way of trying to create a theory of everything. They have yeah. reasons that they explain in this video why they reject string theory, and um, I, I don't, I don't remember cause I just found it last week and I've watched it a couple of times already and I can't remember, um, what the pithy little name is that they would have for their theory of everything, but it's really, really interesting. And, and when you get into trying to, to, um, have a theory that also supports everything that, that Einstein said in the theory of relativity, that includes this idea that the past, the present, and the future, already exists. Einstein showed how the past and the future exist simultaneously in one geometric object. So all time exists all the time. Let me say that again. All time exists all the time. I know that sounds kind of weird and unintuitive, but we have to kind of suspend our common sense. And accept that mathematically, and according to the best physics formulas we have, that actually makes sense. So, let's visualize the geometric object that Einstein spoke about as a block. Remember the tetrahedra, the building block pixels of reality I told you about? Now imagine the entire universe, everything, everywhere, in one frozen moment in time. Like a single frame in a movie, in this one frame, all of reality everywhere appears frozen in this one position. Let me give you an analogy. In a movie shot on 35 millimeter film, there are 24 frames a second. There is no actual movement in a movie. There is just a sequence of frozen frames. Now remember how I told you about the Planck length of space, which is the smallest length possible? Well, there is also a Planck length of time, and it is much shorter than 24 frames a second. In fact, it's 10 to the 44 times shorter than a second. Okay, so back to our frozen frame of reality. The entire universe in one frozen moment, one frame. But instead of a frame in a movie, it's a frame in all of reality. Now, imagine the next frame. Each frame is different from the previous one, just like in a movie. See how all frames exist in Einstein's space-time all at once? Okay, now here's where things get really, really weird. We assume that the past influences the future. That's how we appear to experience reality. But when you look at this block, why would one side be the past and one side be the future? Why go left to right and not right to left? Why can't the future influence the past? Take away the names past and future if that helps you think of this concept. So what if the past influences the future and the future influences the past in an endless feedback loop? So then the question is which part of the past is influencing which part of the future and vice versa? And the answer is all time is affecting all time, all the time. Hi, I need a drink. You know, like it, it exists in physical form of space time and we just haven't gotten to it yet. You yeah. know, there's no explanation as to how or why. So when, when you said we can't that, perceive it. 
Right. Well, when, when right. you said that our that, that our uh, ancestors, you know, 10, 20, 50,000, you know, 100,000, however many thousand years ago, but you were talking specifically about sapiens, so 50,000 years ago, 75,000 years ago, yeah. that they had the same level of intelligence of us. My, my first thought was, well, yes, but as far as evolution goes, they didn't have whatever the last 75,000 years of evolution would have given. But then I thought back to this uh, quantum gravity research thing. And if there's anything to it and Einstein's idea that the past, the present and the future, are, they already exist. If that really does already exist at some kind of a quantum field that we're all connected to at this really, really, really deep level. And you're talking about insights that kind of bubble up. Maybe, maybe we are connected to the intelligence of everything that ever is and ever was and ever will be. And that's another thing that you could call God. And that when we have insight and we express things through art, whether it's good art or bad art or language that's precise or imprecise, that we're kind of expressing stuff that we all have access to, but we don't really have a, a, a very firm sense of it because the, the parts of our brains that we associate with <laughs> as, as being us, that this, this partitioning of our brain, that's the ego that just scans the environment. You know, Alan Watts talks about it as yeah. a radar for a ship. Yeah. That, that's, that's geared to focus on some very, very specific ranges of light and sound and smell and, you know, like these, these senses and things that are outside of it. Um, are, are kind of irrelevant to that radar system. Yeah. But they're, but, but they're still part of us. That radar you know, system is prefrontal cortex, right? Like it's our, it's our ability to think in concepts, to think. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's a single region of the brain. I think okay, that it's, yeah. it's Other several happen. processes like of, of different regions of the brain communing, yeah. communicating with each other, I, I think is actually how okay. it's scientifically described. But. So like speech language is a relatively new like invention in, sure. in the scape of things, right? In the grand scape of things. And so however many billions of years our ancestors existed before that, right? Mm -hmm. They perceived life in a non, like word-filled thought way, more like maybe a baby does, right? How a baby feels yeah. it and experiences all of it just coming in, but can't form thoughts about it but the baby still has i don't know if the baby has thoughts in that way but they feel they definitely think but it's got to be the different kind of thinking right and, i've heard them described as thought forms okay yeah that, that makes a lot more sense right yeah and you probably have this idea of mom without the word mom that eventually gets tied to mom right mm. um from those types of things but yeah. that's all just like human brain developing super quickly it's crazy like it, everything is so 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 complex that it's like that's that's the meaning of life <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i i i, I when, when you were talking about how novel and relatively new language you know uh, spoken languages the, the the thought that i had was that um communication existed not, not only, you know, like the internal thoughts, the people in their head, which is where you went with it, but, but the way that people communicate with each other, 
that existed oh. even before language did. Yeah. And you, you can see that in animals, the way that they communicate with each other, you know, the way that these birds fly in these perfect formations in the sky and one of them turns and, you know, like they're communicating with each other. There's intelligence there. There's, uh, you know, there, there's this connection. And, and I think that because we take our ability to speak for granted so much, we kind of think um, that that's the primary and sometimes only way of communicating, but there's so many other ways of communicating that exist that have existed for a lot longer, um, evolutionarily speaking, than than the language has. Uh, and it's there, an interesting thought. There are there is a much more effective way of being than to be in perpetual thought. Also, mm-hmm. like yeah, with thought as language and talking to yourself. That that's crazy. One of the things I really love about buddhism is Mm -hmm. that buddhism is all about practice everything in buddhism is a practice the ideas that they have you practice those ideas you don't learn them right they some i'm sure some veins have you memorize stuff or other things like that right but like buddhism itself is about practicing it's about living what what you're learning and learning from what you're living right in that way and and to me like that's that's the whole point of like meditation is over time with practice it slowly starts to come off the mat it slowly starts to like you can change the way that you think and you can change the way that you are but what i've learned is that changing myself at least takes like 18 months at a minimum It does. It takes 18 months at a minimum to change me. Uh, And then it's still a practice after that to keep it up. Like if I want to be, if I want to actually like influence the way I am, it's just, it's the long game, right? It's not something you do for three months, six months. And, And we think exercise plans, it's like 10 weeks, you do 10 weeks and you'll be in great shape, you know, but it's like, it's just, you play the long game. I've I've got a, a really terrible admission, but I've got to give this. You know when, um, when, when when was it? It was like February, I think, when I stayed with you and Abby. Yeah, that seems like yeah, forever that, ago. Time has yeah. slowed down, by the way. Yeah, I, and actually, for me, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago because it was such a nice experience. I, you know, I, I, it's it's really fresh in my memory still. I feel like um, it was but times uh, ago for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but. Uh, you you shared with me the the yoga app that you use downward dog yeah which i downloaded immediately i don't know that i've ever opened it see you messed up it's not called download dog it's called downward dog right all you did was download it oh yeah i down oh i downloaded the dog download dog yeah but but, yeah anyway yeah yoga taught me a lot about my body and I've got to, I've got to do this. I'm a little out of practice with you. Well, I do it a couple times. So, so may, maybe it takes you 18 months to change. Um, it's might take me 18 months to even try. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's absolutely okay because the intention's there. So that's good. Yeah. That's well, great- let, let's, let, let's wrap it up for tonight and make sure that we don't wait another three and a half years to have one of these kinds of conversations. You know, <laughs> I mean, you've, you've been on a couple recently as a panel as we've done some things, but, uh, uh, I, I, I like being able to do more of like the one-on-one get into the weeds and yeah, 
argue about definition of words and that kind of pedantic shit. So. <laughs> and hopefully there's like two people that like listening to it other than us too, right? Yeah. 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 Well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, 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 I the, 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 the downloads for the infants episodes has been, you know, tapering off over the years anyway. So yeah. we're, 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 we're keeping the people who really want to stick around and are interested in this stuff. And, and, yeah. uh, what a you cool, know, just, Honestly, though, like think of that, that the transition of first infants on thrones being like kind of a mockery of something Joseph Smith said at a certain point in time. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. but now you can actually shift like the intention of the podcast to right. actually dive into the meaning of oh, infants on infants thrones. Yeah. On thrones, because yeah. ultimately, I believe that that's what being human is. We're an infant yeah. on a throne. That's it. Yeah. Like being human yeah. is the shit. <laughs> and being human is the best thing that I can imagine. Right. Uh, I yeah. have a limited viewpoint because I'm a human. All right. I've, I have not, I have not admitted this publicly at all, but I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> I'm going to get shit for this. There is um, this thing called Seth speaks. It's uh it's a book that was written by, I think her name's, I don't, I don't remember what her name is. Something Robinson. It was written like 1972. It's one of those channeled books. So it's, it's being presented as, and, and, and the version that I listened to, you can find it on YouTube. If you Google Seth speaks, there's like a 10 hour thing. I, I downloaded the audio and I've, I've, I've never listened to the entire thing all the way through, but I started listening to it in bits and pieces maybe around this time last year and and just as a work of fiction of imagination of what because because the way that it's framed is is this is a spirit called Seth who's lived multiple lifetimes on this earth chapter 1 i do not have a physical body yet i am writing this book you have heard of ghost hunters i can quite literally be called a ghost writer though i do not approve of the term ghost. It is true that I am usually not seen in physical terms. I do not like the word spirit either, and yet if your definition of that word implies the idea of a personality without a physical body then I would have to agree that the description fits me. I address an unseen audience. However, I know that my readers exist, and therefore I shall ask each of them now to grant me the same privilege. I write this book through the auspices of a woman of whom I have become quite fond. To others it seems strange that I address her as Rupert and him, but the fact is that I have known her in other times and places by other names. She has been both a man and a woman, and the entire identity who has lived these separate lives can be designated by the name of Rupert. Names are not important, however. My name is Seth. Names are simply designations, symbols, and yet since you must use them, I shall also, my readers may suppose that they are physical creatures, bound within physical bodies, imprisoned within bone, flesh, and skin. If you believe that your existence is dependent upon this corporeal image, then you feel in danger of extinction, for no physical form lasts, and no body, however beautiful in youth retains the same vigor and enchantment in old age. 
if you identify with your own youth, or beauty, or intellect, or accomplishments, then there is the constant gnawing knowledge that these attributes can and will vanish. I am writing this book to assure you that this is not the case. Basically you are no more of a physical being than I am, and I have donned and discarded more bodies than I care to tell. Personalities who do not exist do not write books. I am quite independent of a physical image, and so are you. Consciousness creates form. It is not the other way around. All personalities are not physical. It is only because you are so busily concerned with daily matters that you do not realize that there is a portion of you who knows that its own powers are far superior to those shown by the ordinary self. You have each lived other existences, and that knowledge is within you though you are not consciously aware of it. I hope that this book will serve to release the deeply intuitive self within each of my readers, and to bring to the foreground of consciousness whatever particular insights will serve you most. And he talks about, um, you know, like what life is like, like uh, after death, you know, the non-human form, and, you know, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. It's so interesting, <laughs> and I'm so embarrassed to admit how much I like it, but I like it. Yeah. So don't so maybe, be maybe about it. So, so maybe like sometime that. we can so maybe sometime we can we can talk about Seth speaks or something like that or some of these more crazy things and then I can watch the numbers of the podcast continue to drop and it's you know, <laughs> the people that are just like interested in this you're like I didn't sign up for this shit. I want to hear Randy talk about how awful awful the church is. Where is Randy? <laughs> Go for it, man. Uh, you could do a spin-off Randy on his throne. Right? Yeah. I miss Randy. I, I miss, miss Randy, Randy too. You know, all of us, all of us got together and had uh, a non-recorded private discussion a couple of weeks ago when we got the news about Jake and yeah. it was just so nice. I mean, just, you know, like even though we're not um, actively doing the podcast together as much as we were in the early days, it's just so nice to have them as a group of friends, you know? Yeah, and and awesome. we don't, we, we, we don't all live close to each other and we don't really interact that much with each other. Um, as, as much as we used to, but it was, that was, that was a special night. That was a really special conversation that we had. And, and uh, I really like that group of people. I love that. I love it. Even though I listen to Seth speaks and all this shit like that. Now that they would go. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I think cool, man. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's fun. And especially when you keep that whole, like engage disbelief and then bring it back in. Right. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Challenge everything. Fun. Yeah. Challenge everything. Life is fun. Thanks, Brave. Yep. Hi, this is Chad from Orem, Utah and I have met one of the three Nephites. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, give the Quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anybody for the closing prayer? And if you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more like it and even be involved in some of them yourselves, please consider joining Patreon, where for as little as $1 per episode, maxed at whatever your monthly budget, you can help support this project and become a part of our Patreon community.
so far away It's like I never knew And when I called your name Where were you? It seems like such a long, long time And since I had you here with me When you're so far away It's like I never knew But if I make believe I can see you But if you're only in my dreams How can I know you're really here with me Till I see you When I see you Standing here alone in the rain every day But if I just make believe You might be here with me It feels like I'm just fooling myself I can't think of anything else Till I feel you When I feel you Thank you for listening to Infant Town Brown.
infants on thrones. <laughs>